Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 12. Murder in the Dark. Yes. So, what did you think of this episode? We've been leading up to it for a long time, so I'm excited to hear what, what your thoughts are. I love this episode, and I've been looking forward to recapping it since we started this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's so I'd say good. it's... It's my favorite episode of season one for sure. And it might be like, it's definitely in my top three for the all three seasons, I'd say. Yes, it definitely contains um, a top three scene for me. I don't know mm. if it's top three favorite episodes for me because, and I think as I was doing the notes for this episode and did my murder recap, I'm like, the murder makes no sense to me. I do not understand why Marigold had to die. Yeah, I was kind of confused about that too. And I think like, maybe is it revealed in the next episode? I don't remember. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, it seems like maybe it doesn't, it's not necessary, but it wouldn't be an episode if there was no murder, so. Right, but then the rest of the episode is, is fantastic, so. Yeah. I mean, I just like, I love a fancy dress party for sure in yep. in media and in my personal life. And um. You know, I love, like, frivolous 1920s, I guess flappers would be the correct term. <laughs> yeah, well, more on this later, because I did some research on the bright young things, so. Me too! <laughs> <laughs> I realized it's been a couple weeks since we did research, so. Yeah. Okay, well, so, without further ado, the cold open of the episode is a man by a pool eating a candy apple, and he seems like he seems like he's disabled in some way, and then um, we hear Aunt Prudence calling for him, uh, and she approaches him asking what he's eating, and then immediately notices that there's actually a girl floating face down in the pool, who Arthur, the, the man, thought was sleeping. Yeah, she's like, he's like, Shh, you'll wake her up. And then that's when Prudence sees the body. Yeah. I will say, yeah. I think candy apples are gross. Yeah, and I put in my notes the first time, I was like, this is a caramel apple. But then I realized later it's a toffee apple, which seems even worse than a caramel yeah. apple. Yeah, yeah. And there's just like a lot of scenes of gross, sticky, half-eaten, dirty <laughs> toffee apples in, in this episode, which yeah, is gross. Yeah, several. And like, here's the thing about a caramel apple. It's so hard to eat because it's just so sticky and you get it all over your face and then you're trying to crunch into the apple and you're getting the caramel all over your face. It's just, I'd rather dip apple slices into caramel. I think you're 100% right about that. I can't agree more. Yeah, and I don't understand I don't... why it's a thing. <laughs> also, another thing about caramel apples is when they put nuts on the outside because then the nuts are always falling off. Yeah, that's so true. Like, who invented this weird dessert? I don't know. You're supposed to eat it on a stick? Like, who? It, oh, anyways. But I mean, it is, at least it, it's an attractive dessert, I think. It looks good. Well, yeah. Looks better than it is. <laughs> I mean, I know a few people like that, so. Oh, ooh. Burn. <laughs> I won't name any names on this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyways, so, then... We, after the intro sequence, we cut to Phryne's house. Yes. And Phryne is preparing for a costume ball. Yes. of course she is. <laughs> and Dot is sort of, like, appraising her of all the various costumes she's packed for this party. And at the party, we find out is celebrating the engagement of Aunt Prudence's other son, Guy. I want, is this Guy short for something? Do we ever find out if his name is actually just Guy? Or if it's, like... I think it's Gerber. just Guy. But that might be one of those, like, British things where Guy is short for something completely different, like... 
Theodore. Yeah, like, but you know what doesn't make, also doesn't make sense, is why the costumes need to be packed, since presumably uh, Aunt Prudence also lives in Melbourne, and like, why are they, why are they like spending the night there? Couldn't they just go back to their own house? Well, I don't know if they're spending the night there, but it's more like they're getting ready for the party there. Probably because Franny's like helping out with the party, or it just isn't done to travel across town in a costume. Yeah, well, it's never stopped me, but I guess I'll accept this as an explanation. (laughs) I mean, like, when I wore my Franny costume to work this Halloween, I did not travel to work in costume. I put my wig and hat on at the office. I did travel to work in my costume, and it was a mistake. It's a great way to flash some stocking biking in a flapper costume. (laughs) So, I'm sure Franny was trying to avoid being seen in public in her Cleopatra outfit. (laughs) That was a, it's a racy outfit. It is a little racy. Um, alright, so, then we find out that there's apparently a luncheon with Aunt Prudence that day that Miss Fisher is, like, trying to wriggle out of, but the phone rings and we find out the luncheon is off due to, shocker, A dead body! So, of course, Dot and Miss Fisher rush off to Aunt Prudence's, where we first meet Guy, who seems, like, kind of smarmy. Oh, he's so obnoxious. Also, I'll note that before they leave the house, Friday immediately calls Jack. Oh, yes, she does. Immediately calls City South Police. Because Um, she knows who she needs with her on the case. Oh, yeah. And we find out upon arrival that the murder victim is the stable hand's daughter, who is working as a maid, Marigold. Uh, and then Jack arrives, and we learn that at 9 a.m., all was well, no body in the pool. But then shortly after 10, body in the pool, and she was pulled out uh, by apparently Guy, who is a wetsuit. And uh, also, she appears to have been hit on the head. Maybe on the edge of the, edge of the pool. So yeah. maybe it's not murder at all. That detail's never really followed up on in this episode, but... Well, well no, they do. <laughs> Evidence does come out that she was strangled in the autopsy. Yeah, but nothing about the hit to the head. Right, yeah. Um, And she was definitely murdered. Yeah. And then Jack, um, I love this because Jack immediately wants to know what Franny's uh, theory is. Which I know, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Which it's like, in last episode, I think he was kind of not so helpful. Yeah, he was like sort of an obstructionist in the last episode. Or at least he wasn't, he wasn't investigating the case. Right. Mr. Grossmith, a.k.a. Gross Incompetent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and Friday, of course, has identified a clue around the girl's collar, and she has correctly, we find out later, um, figured out that the girl was strangled. What I'd like to know is, does strangulation always result in this kind of bruising? Is that, because it always does in this TV show, but is that reality as well? I mean, I think so, because I think to really, like, strangle someone until they are dead, you really have to get in there and, like, stay with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess well, so. Like, they're gonna pass out, but that they're not dead at that point. You have to keep at it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do not speak from experience. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I do. Everyone I've ever strangled to death has had absolutely no bruise, visible bruising. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so then, after that, Jack interrogates Aunt Prudence, and um, Arthur shows up in the middle of this interrogation, asking after Marigold, who is unfortunately dead uh and miss fisher immediately bribes him to go back to his room with gobstoppers well i think she had those i think she was bringing those to him anyways like she's probably gonna yeah. bring them to lunch but and yeah. i think 
it pans to Jack after she gives him the gobstoppers, and he's kind of smiling, which is cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, I think they're also just establishing that Franny and Arthur have, like, a, a you know, mm-hmm. friendly, close relationship. And then Jack interviews, Jack and Franny, I believe, go and interview the stable hand father, who seems kind of suspicious. He says he last saw Marigold the night before, um, and then he claims he was mucking out the stables between 9 and 10 that morning, and Guy can verify this alibi. Because he came over to ask for a couple horses to be saddled. And Franny actually isn't here in the scene, it's Jack and Hugh, because... Right, yeah, you're right. Later, Franny informs jack that guy doesn't like horses so yeah he never liked riding yep yep um and then they do interview guy and he's kind of fuzzy on the details of his morning whereabouts and it's also like just sort of irritating oh he's so annoying (laughs) yeah but he's not as annoying as his fiance isabella who is the next person to that we meet (laughs) it's it's his ravishing bride is what he refers to her and then also i like when they're talking to him he says that he had breakfast early practically at nine oh god And then I love uh, when, so I think it's on Prudence and Franny are talking to Isabella and Franny's like, you need to go talk to the inspector. And she's like, <laughs> you know, should I, should I dress or not? Depending on like how good looking is he? And Franny, you think a lesser woman might grow enraged and jealous by this, but she's just like, I have nothing to worry about. Yeah. She just kind of makes like a smirk. Like, <laughs> yeah, she like doesn't bat an eyelash. Also, it's, it comes out in this scene that Friday and Isabel have met before at a drunken party in London. Oh, yep. Yep. So. Surprise. Also, like, I think they discuss at this point that they have come, their, their wedding is going to be in London, but they have come all the way to Australia for the engagement party. And, like, that's a big trip. Like, do they, do they fly in those days? I don't think there were passenger planes back then. They would have had to take a boat. Yeah, well, Friday and Prudence talk about that at some point because when they're talking about canceling the party our prudence is like people have come from london for this or which seems ridiculous which is ridiculous no one would i mean that's got to be like a month on a boat (laughs) i feel like even the leisure class like who's got time for that shit for one party well the leisure class does i'm sure they like combine it with other families that they were seeing in australia but yeah it's it's a little crazy yeah. And of course, the reason that they're considering calling off the party is that the housekeeper has fled. But of course, Miss Fisher's got it all covered with her staff once again, ready to save the day. Like, maybe there should be a spinoff show where she starts a catering company with like Bert, <laughs> Sess, Mr. Butler, and Dot, you know? Yes, another spinoff idea. I like it. And then, this is like the... at the, all the events they cater, someone gets murdered. For the sure. Yeah. Are endless. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Isabella reveals herself. I mean, we already knew this, but she's like, it's just really obnoxious because she makes a bunch of like derogatory remarks about Australia and how like the whole house is going to mourning over a stable hand and like this would never happen in London. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure about that, but. Um, she also seems hinting at things to come, seems to know Marigold because she said she was nice. Yeah, well, I think she knows more than. A little more than just that about Marigold, as it turns out. Turns out she knew a lot about Marigold. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree, yes. Um, So then Isabella swans off to be interrogated by the police. And uh, that's a yes, please, from Hugh, I have noted. (laughs) 
<laughs> she just, just like flops herself on this couch and says, "Which one of you would like to inspect me?" And he like immediately drops his pencil. <laughs> Man, that guy's—he's a master of the the clumsy take, you know. Oh, I know. I know. There's got to be a word for that, like shocked, dropping, and tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then after that, our three investigators reconvened by the pool where they discussed Guy's questionable alibi. As you already noted, Franny says he never liked to ride. Um, and they agreed to investigate the housekeeper. But then Jack rushes off to a mysterious appointment. What could it be? Some sort of court appearance. I love the way Hugh just volunteers information all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, I mean, he'd be such an annoying employee if you're, like, trying to keep things quiet. I know, right? Like, I feel like if Jack was off to get, like, a colonoscopy, he would be like, and then they put the camera in his butt. Can you believe it? And Jack would be like, it was Collins. Stop talking about my butt. Um, so he would be the employee that's like, you know, some layoffs are coming or something. And he's in a meeting, like, as the assistant and is told, like, you know, this stays in this room. And then he just goes and, like, tells someone that it's coming. Uh, so then after, after Jack flees... The scene to his mysterious appointment, Miss Fisher finds a gross discarded candy apple, which seems to disturb her a great deal. Yeah, eerie music starts playing, so we know it has something to do with the murder and probably Murdoch Foil. Ugh, Murdoch Foil. <laughs> <laughs> also, Hugh discovers that there's no drag marks by the pool, and so Friday's like, oh, she must have been strangled, then dumped into the pool. Which... Oh, so she must have been carried there, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't note that down, but... It's a clue. I don't know that it's not that important, but that is. So then Miss Fisher brings the apple to the police station and immediately begins teasing Jack about his mysterious barrister appointment. And she, so he's, so Phryne is giving Jack a hard time about rushing off to talk to his barrister. And he says, it's my most challenging case yet, but not one that concerns you. What could it be? What could it be? When you watched this for the first time, did you know that it was his divorce? Um. Like, did you I don't guess think that? So. No. I can't remember. I can't I can't really remember, but I don't think I did until Hugh reveals that it's the divorce court. Or Jack tells Hugh that it's the divorce court. Yeah. Oh, also they review the autopsy report, which confirms that um, she was strangled. And then also the report reveals that she was belted, had been drinking, and getting it on. She was not a virgin, but she wasn't raped. I'd like to note that I believe there is no medical way to tell whether or not someone is a virgin, so this True. is questionable. Like, I think... Your hymen can be broken by riding a horse, for example, and she is the daughter of a stable hand. So yes, and I think also frequently our people are born without them. So mm -hmm. sort of a myth, but you know, it's not the first time that uh, this show has defied credulity a little bit. So well, we'll I let, also we'll let it slide. The, I think in the 1920s this was like I don't think they had come as far as they have now in terms of like acknowledging that a medical exam will not reveal whether you're a virgin or. Right, yeah. Uh, so earlier in the season, Camellia is, like, not approved by Lynn's grandmother because she is examined and is determined to not be a virgin. So Wait, didn't I think she, this was she, kind of, like, common practice. I think she refused, she refused to submit to oh, right, right, exam. Oh, right, right, right. She refused, but... Because she knew that maybe it would reveal the truth, which was that exactly. she wasn't. So, Friday thinks there could be a boyfriend to investigate of Marigold's. Hmm. Turns out, yes. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so then back at Aunt P's, the new staff are not not Aunt Prudence's first choice. So <laughs> she's not impressed with Bert and Sess. 
And also, um, a guy has apparently ordered too much champagne. And then Prudence is telling Sass and Bert to be more careful with the champagne because it's more than their weekly wage. And Sass is like, or Bert is like, it must be bloody liquid gold then. And uh, <laughs> I take that to mean that Friday pays them pretty well. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought too. <laughs> I also thought it was pretty freaking rude to insinuate that, like, the champagne was, you know, that they they were so worthless that this champagne, then you know, they were spending so much money on the champagne. Like, I right. thought that was a pretty tactless comment. But I guess that's the kind of thing people did back in the day. I don't know. Well, also, I think Prudence, her tact maybe doesn't uh, apply to the lower classes. You know? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um. And then next, we see Isabella's costume. She's dressed up as Lady Godiva. <laughs> and which, she basically looks naked. <laughs> yes. Um, and this is deeply shocking to Aunt Prudence. And this is where she mentions the bright young things. Yes. Like to um, whoop it up. Uh, Jane looks very amused at the costume and tells her that she looks like Eve because she has fig leaves like over her privates. Yes. And she's like, I'm Lady Godiva. I better take off the fig leaf and just like whips it off. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And I think it's funny that Miss Fisher also like apparently draws the line here because she's very permissive for Jane, but she sends her off to the to, off to the kitchen, so she must think yeah. Isabella is a bad influence. But then she lets her come to the party, so Yeah. Which seems a little weird. Yeah. So I don't know how much research you did on the Brit Young things, but I just kind of quickly looked them up because I knew that was a, a phrase um, for a specific type of person. Mm-hmm. And it is. It was the nickname given to a group of bohemian young aristocrats and socialites in London during the 1920s who threw elaborate fancy dress parties, had elaborate treasure hunts, drank heavily, and used drugs. All elements of which we see in this episode surrounding yes. Guy and Isabel and their friends. So. Okay, so then after Isabella sends Jane off to the... Or sorry, after Phryne sends Jane off to the kitchen, Isabella notes that she thinks that the father killed Marigold. Because he was um, an old soak, which I don't think she has room to talk about someone being a soak. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, and Aunt Prudence doesn't believe it because the, the stable hand guy was recommended by the neighbors. So he could never be a murderer. <laughs> Uh, so then Jack and Miss Fisher set off to the stables to investigate further. Um, and Jack has previously gone and talked to the neighbor, Mr. Frazier, who recommended Mr. Brown to be the stable hand. And he said Brown was quick to use a whip and not just on his horses. So I don't know if he just didn't tell Prudence that. That doesn't seem like a very high recommendation. But like, imagine yeah. if one of your references for a job said you were quick to use a whip. Like, no. <laughs> Great stable hand also beats his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. But great stable hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Anyways. Um, they do, so they do find a lot of empty liquor bottles under his bed, in addition to a bottle of very expensive whiskey under his pillow. And I mean, like, I'm not sure that you're allowed to just kind of start looking around someone's bedroom and, and like, under their bed and stuff without, I mean, do you need a search warrant in 1920s Australia? I, don't, I guess maybe you didn't, because they uh, never I mean, used one. Yeah, in this show, they definitely just start searching willy-nilly, so. <laughs> yeah, that was, this actually was a bit of a sour note. I was like, you can't, okay, you can't just fucking look around someone's room when they're not there just because you're the police. But, whatever. <laughs> but they do, and they find a clue, so. 
Yes. And then the guy comes in and catches them and seems like only kind of mad. And he says that the expensive whiskey was a gift from Guy. And he admits that, yes, he did belt his daughter because he was afraid she might get knocked up. So that's definitely the best way to prevent that. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that because I'm like, all right, it seems like he claims he was concerned about all the young men that were trying to get with her, but then he beat her. That, that doesn't seem like the solution to the problem at all. No, no. <laughs> and then Friday thinks that maybe he's covering for Guy because of the fancy whiskey. And then Hugh comes in to say he's checked with the agency for the disappearing housekeeper who says she hasn't been in touch. She just kind of disappeared. So, um, but Miss Fisher thinks that she can get the gossip from the downstairs staff. Uh, and that like, this really reminded me of Gosford park, you know, with like the upstairs, downstairs gossip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then of course she's right. And the, the three of them have already sniffed out the housekeeper's destination, which is some like vacation cottage. The sea breeze. Yes. And then, of course, Guy entrusts Mr. B with his special fudge. And immediately we all know that this is going to end in Mr. B accidentally eating the special fudge and embarrassing oh, yeah. himself. Yeah. It's, Which it's very I clear. Find, I find hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And I like that, like, you know, I don't like it when you have to watch someone embarrass themselves in, like, a really horrible way like they're you know they accidentally like eat special fudge before going to a job interview like that's the kind of thing that i find unpleasant to watch right, but right. there's there are no lasting consequences for mr b's intoxication in this case so i like that <laughs> um yeah and also it's just funny although i mean i think it does mean he's sort of out of commission when murdoch foil first comes to the house but he That's wakes true. up while Foyle is there, so I, it doesn't really have a negative impact. But Yeah, but although, I mean, you might say that if he'd had his wits about him a little bit more, he might have been like, who's this asshole? Get out of here. Right, you know? exactly. Did you poison the milk? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love, so then Jack comes in after, like, Guy gives Mr. B the fudge and Jack comes in. And Friday just sort of flings the name of the cottages where the housekeeper is in triumph as he as he's coming in and then she just like leaves sort of like a <laughs> shot of like oh look i figured it out you're welcome what you didn't have a an array of household staff you could loan out to aunt prudence just about <laughs> these facts well i did <laughs> so then in the next scene jane is helping arthur to read hansel and gretel when miss fisher shows up uh with a present for arthur which turns out to be a hansel costume uh, and unfortunately he seems to think that marigold is going to be gretel and miss fisher has to like let him down easy on that fact which is really sad just yeah it is sad and then arthur says that marigold had to go away because of him because he didn't share his toffee apple and he wasn't supposed to have sweets and it's just like it's just kind of heartbreaking yeah yeah and i mean it also uncovers the fact that on prudence lies about who discovered marigold because it was in fact arthur yeah um and then you know this this, it all turns out that it's because Aunt Prudence does not want Arthur to know Marigold is dead um, because he's still very upset about the disappearance of uh, Miss Fisher's sister, Janie. And then cue Arthur immediately having a tantrum about Janie. Uh, and he begins talking about a woodcutter and wants to know if the woodcutter took Marigold. Um, he saw the woodcutter and the woodcutter gave him a toffee apple, he says. Which, okay, Murdoch Foyle is just walking around with this very messy, sticky snack, like, in his pocket? 
I don't understand how he always has a toffee apple to produce. I, I just don't. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you were going to bribe someone with a sweet, like, would you, I would probably choose like a chocolate bar, maybe some licorice. I don't know. Well, but I think it's, it's obviously, I mean, it's because that's what Arthur was eating when Janie was taken. So Murdoch Foyle's like sending Franny a message, which it's, it's a little, it's a lot, but you know. It's a bit of a stretch, but. It's um, a bit of a stretch. I like. I'd be pressed to name a single murder in this entire series that isn't a little bit of a stretch. So, <laughs> uh, so then after this, Arthur shows them all where he saw the woodcutter, which appears to be like in the woods or in the garden, um, and reiterates the fact that he, the woodcutter gave him a toffee apple so that he'd leave him alone with Marigold. And Arthur can't tell them what the woodcutter looks like, but claims it was the same man who took Janie, mm-hmm. which seems. Again, like a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I I mean, I'm confused about this whole thing because I didn't realize, like, in the flashbacks we got last episode, Arthur wasn't with them. And now suddenly yeah, he, he was with there. them and saw Foyle take Jane. I, I don't get it, but... Yeah, also, again, it's 30 years later. Like, I just... It, yeah. <laughs> so then immediately Miss Fisher becomes distraught. She thinks that it's got to be Foyle, and Jack is, tries to tell her, like, that's ridiculous, Foyle is dead. And I also have noted that Dot is once again wearing the dress I like with the mountains on it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jack says that the housekeeper is on her way back with info about who she saw Marigold with the night before. Um, Also, I'll note that Jack is wearing his pinstriped suit in this scene. Which which everyone knows that I love Jack and the pinstripe. I was pleased to see it appear in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Finally, and perhaps most importantly, Miss yes. <laughs> uh, Fisher makes Jack supremely uncomfortable by asking him to go to the party with her, Sadie Hawkins style. Um, and As he's her like, partner. <laughs> yes. And then he is like, oh, and then she's like, oh, only for investigative reasons. What did you think? Gosh, I'm not asking you on a date. But then she gets so close together again, and she says that she needs him. Yes, and she's just is like, smolder, 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 like, smoky eye. <laughs> I have, like, ten exclamation points before this scene in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> he de- he definitely thinks she's asking him out, like, just on a date, and he's so uncomfortable. Well, yeah, like, he's in the midst of his divorce proceeding, so he's, like, kind of distracted. And I think it's just, like, a lot for Jack to handle all at once. Yeah, it's like, okay. the ink's not it's even dry on his... Yeah, it's it's only for the investigation. <laughs> so Dot believes Miss Fisher. And she thinks Foyle might really be alive. So she kicks into investigative Dot mode. Um, yes. It goes to the station to argue with Hugh about it. And Hugh agrees to help investigate. Um, and I like this because then this commences a whole Dot and Hugh side caper where they uncover the truth, which I like. I love it. And I love that Dot is like taking initiative. She's like going after it. She's pushing. Yeah. She's not going to let Hugh say no to her. Like... She yeah. doesn't even tell Miss Fisher that she's doing this, but she's like, no, I'm going to figure this out because I'm Dot and I learn from the best and I know how to investigate something and I'm going to investigate it. I love it. It's great. It's so great. So then next we get a brief scene where we see that Mr. B is prepping a pretty delicious looking feast and it must have been a lot of work because he decides to take a little load off, take a little <laughs> break and sample some fudge. So we all know what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, Bert and Sess are refusing to put on tuxedos, um, and Aunt 
Prudence reveals that the police are finished with Marigold's things, which gives Miss Fisher a convenient chance to, like, rifle through them. And what are the chances that she's going to find a clue? Of course she finds a clue. (laughs) (laughs) A clue in the form of expensive slash sexy granny panties. I know, I'm like... Are the is this lingerie? Because they're like culottes, like they're they're very long, baggy looking shorts. But yeah, well, I think I mean I like not that I have looked extensively at historically accurate sewing patterns or anything, but that that is actually I think pretty normal underwear for like the like the 30s and even the 40s. That was sort yeah, of a, yeah. a typical panty. I mean, it'd be pretty comfy. Like if you were wearing a dress. That'd be pretty nice to have some really voluminous, like, underwear on under it. So I can see, I can see it. They just don't I guess so, these, yeah. Like, sexy in any way, but. I'll also note that Prudence is wearing my favorite dandelion dress in the scene, so. Oh, I missed it again. I gotta go back and look, watch that again. Yeah. Oh, and I have noted, why is it always an underage sex scandal? <laughs> like, we see the panties and we know, you know, trouble is brewing here. Or has already been brewed. <laughs> Although they do make a point to say that she just turned 16, which is perhaps, like, considered the age of consent. Yeah. Still a little well, sketchy, though. Like, well, more than a little sketchy, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, just at that moment, Sess comes back to fetch Miss Fisher for a very urgent reason, reason which turns out to be <laughs> a very intoxicated Mr. Butler, who's swimming in the fountain, uh, just high as a kite on the fudge, which turns out to have been laced with hash. And he had four pieces. Um, four pieces. That's I, a lot of fudge. That's a lot of fudge. I'm not saying I speak for experience, but <laughs> you can't eat that much. <laughs> no, I mean, I would say like a, a quarter of a piece of fudge, one piece of fudge probably would have done it. <laughs> so yeah, they, they chase him down and tackle him and he's, you know, prevented from embarrassing himself further. And then back at the station... Jack is going to another mysterious appointment and leaving Hugh to interview Mrs. Truebody, which is a very important interview. And, like, I get that Jack trusts Hugh, but this is not typical behavior. No, no, yeah, he's leaving him alone. And, I, you know, as predictably, it doesn't go so well for Hugh. He ends up needing Miss Fisher's help. I mean, she, like, conveniently shows up, but... Uh, yeah. And then, so this is where Hugh asks Jack which courthouse he's going to in case he needs to reach him. And he tells him, like, the magistrate's court and he's like he was like wait isn't that the divorce court sir (laughs) and jack's like i believe it is (laughs) i um yes i think you might be right there constable (laughs) so then back at miss fisher's house the staff are dragging in mr butler and dot's very curious about what's happened and they all just like agree to keep her in the dark on that point (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably yep But they are, Miss Fisher's very interested in Dot's opinion on the lingerie, which Dot thinks must have been very expensive. So probably a gift for someone like Marigold, who is just a chambermaid. So then Um, Friday floats the theory that it's probably Guy who has given them to Marigold. Yes, a rich gentleman prone to inappropriate behavior. Who could it be? (laughs) (laughs) I think we Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I think we also noted very early in the episode that Marigold was a remarkably pretty young girl, so... Science pointed guy. So then this is where Friday goes back to the station is really trying to to get some info from Hugh about where Jack is. Yes. She really she really lays it on thick. Like she's extremely unsubtle. Do you think she suspects what's going on with Jack? I don't think that she does. 
sister. Yeah, I don't either, but it's also like, yeah, I don't think so. I think she's just naturally nosy, you know? Like, she (laughs) just, whatever it is, she wants to know, and she doesn't care if she comes off as nosy, which she does. (laughs) Right, and I also think that, like, she really wants to be working with Jack on this case, and he's just, like, not around, which sort of happened in the last episode, too, because he wasn't, like, on the case, and she's bothering him to help her with the case, so. Yeah, So, and then I don't think, Hugh doesn't really tell her where Jack is, but she, she, he warns her that he, she really shouldn't go after Jack because it's a personal matter and Jack would not like it if she interrupted. Yeah, he doesn't divulge. <laughs> I just noticed that I have written in my notes, Miss Fisher is a bloodhound. <laughs> Uh, she is. She is. <laughs> she is. I mean, that's why she's good at her job, but yeah. Um. So then he reveals that Mrs. Truebody is being very difficult. She will only speak to a lady police officer, presumably because the matter is delicate. Uh, so And it is. It is delicate. <laughs> yes. So thus, once again, Hugh needs Miss Fisher's help and is sort of bamboozled by her. Although I think he's using this as a ploy to distract her from Jack's personal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's I didn't think of it that way, but that makes sense. Yeah, I think he's being a little strict yeah. here. Um, so then we find out Mrs. Truebody was scandalized to have walked in on Mr. Guy with not one, but two young ladies. So she fled the house. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> like Isabella and Marigold. <laughs> <laughs> two young ladies. Oof. One very young. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, Guy, not that attractive. Really not that attractive. <laughs> I'm just saying, he's, like, real dopey looking. Agreed. Um, so that's why she left without telling anyone. So then Guy and Isabella readily admit that they were all screwing. Um, and that... <laughs> yeah, they, they do not, like, they don't even hesitate. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we bought her that on fancy underwear. <laughs> Uh, and they say that Marigold was blackmailing them to take her back to London with them. And then also we find out that her father, Herbert, caught them together and dragged her off for a good beating, which is why Guy bribed him with the scotch. And um, we also find out that Herbert asked Guy to give him an alibi for the morning of Mar- uh, Marigold's death, which is sort of the opposite of what had initially been thought, that it was the other way around. But wait, why, why did Herbert ask guy for we don't find out in this episode i don't think yeah no unclear because we i mean but maybe it was just because herbert thought he would be suspected because he was beating his daughter yeah and i I mean so then he kind of uses that as more leverage to guy to be like hey the fancy whiskey is nice but also i need you to forge an alibi for me yeah yeah that's a little bit weak but that may that may be what it is i don't know but they never i don't think they explore it further at least in this episode no i don't think they do also in the scene guy tells Franny to not be so moralistic because he knows that she likes her meat tender too which is just like a fucking weird thing to say yeah that is so weird you're right i forgot all about that but i mean when he said that i did think about the um the episode with Saul Abrams or whatever where she's I know I know I was like all right well we have seen Franny go for men who are clearly younger than her so apparently God yeah she was going after the veal in that episode (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't that he wasn't 16 no yeah no he was clearly I mean that guy was like at least 20 you know he was not a teenager yeah yeah and also that nothing happens Uh, I don't think they even kiss in that episode do they I don't think so. They get very close. They have a romantic liaison by the way. Yes, and then they're interrupted. But then Friday's always too focused on the crime solving. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't think it goes anywhere. <laughs> 
Um, so then we find out that Guy was and Isabella were actually in the library with the florist. It wasn't, you know, the whole stable alibi thing was made up. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I think we leave it at that. Nobody on screen ever investigates the florist situation. So I think we just are assuming that that is true. Yeah, no, that's never checked up on. I mean, let's be real. This episode ends up not really being about the murder investigation so much as like building suspense for the next episode and playing creepy music about Murdoch Foyle. Yes, true. And then I also have noted that these two are remarkably unremorseful about the death of this girl that they were, like, recently menaging with. That she's just dead. Yeah, they they just seem so cavalier about it. Yeah, they were getting... I think that was perhaps one of the critiques of the bright young girl. Yes. Not specifically, like, being cavalier about murder, but, like, being cavalier in general. Yeah, well, this is about as cavalier as it gets. <laughs> But again, in the show, almost every episode, there's someone who you would think would be reacting in a completely different way to their coworker, friend, like someone they know getting murdered. Yeah. And you know, this is like sort of a, this is, I think, an issue that cuts across the murder mystery genre where like, in reality, when someone dies, it's far more likely that everyone around them like erupts in hysterics and actually has a completely exaggerated reaction to it because they want attention. Like, you know what I mean? People that are like, oh, it's so terrible. My neighbor's great uncle's dog has died and I'm so upset about it. I'm going to post on Facebook, you know? Like, that's actually what happens. Oh, yeah. If they had Facebook, like, in this show, everyone would be posting so many dramatic things. Like, R.I.P. Marigold. Hashtag, too young to die. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's not funny, but it is. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway. (laughs) So then we cut to the fancy dress party where Jane is getting ready and ominous music is playing. So we know something bad's going to happen. And obviously she's dressed as Little Red Riding Hood because we know she's like going to be kidnapped by a big bad wolf. And then somebody slips a note under the door with a P on it. um, And Jane just like puts the note aside. Like it seems to know like, oh, P for Friday. Okay, bye. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then Arthur does some sort of, like, ominous peering out of the door crack. And, I like, I didn't understand throughout this episode, like, why did they have to set up Arthur to be so creepy? Like, he did nothing wrong, but they kept sort of, like, framing him. I know. I think they're trying to cast suspicion on him. Like, maybe it was him all along. Yeah. Like, just kind of having some sort of, like, psychotic break. Because he puts on the wolf costume and then Murdoch Foyle steals it from him. But I think you're sort of led to believe that, like, maybe Murdoch Foyle didn't steal it Yeah. And, but, and, like, at what point does he take the costume? It's never exactly clear when these two exchange costumes. Well, and I, what I don't understand... Oh, I do. Okay, no, I do. Because Arthur puts the wolf costume on because Prudence tells him that he can't go to the party. Yeah. And so then in the wolf costume, she can't tell it's him. So. You know... Because at first, like... I was thinking, like, maybe Murdoch Foyle, like, had given him a set of instructions, but, like, I don't think that's actually true. I think he just puts the wolf costume on because he wanted to sneak down to the party and not have Prudence know. Yes, and because it creates narrative tension to have him in a creepy costume. (laughs) Right, yes. No, that is what this episode is all about. It's not exactly logical, but... Yes. Whatever. It makes for a very creepy episode, so... Yes, indeed. Um, so then Miss Fisher arrives at the party in a kind of scandalous sheer Cleopatra costume. But it's just fantastic. It's, it's so, so good. good. And I, I love it. I think I've previously talked to you about this, but through kind of Googling around, I noticed that this costume is a very direct reference to the 1934 film Cleopatra with Claudette Colbert. And she 
in that film wears a costume that is almost identical to the one that Franny wears in this episode. So I really think the costume department must have been referencing that specific film. Also, creepily, Guy comes up to her and tells her what a nice asp, which is just like, dude, that's your cousin. <laughs> like, you weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, him and Janie are both ancient history buffs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. Right. Um, uh, also, Guy sees Friday at the party and tells her not to make things worse with Prudence by, you know, bringing up the fact that he was having weird threesomes with the murdered. Yeah. Who was in his, his mother's employ. <laughs> Which, you know, you could see how that would make things awkward. Certainly could, yes. <laughs> um, so then Jane lets Miss Fisher know about the note for her, and so Miss Fisher goes up to check on Arthur, who pretends to be asleep, um, and then says that he isn't at the party because Guy doesn't want him there. And then as soon as she leaves, he jumps out of the bed and he's wearing that horrifying old-timey wolf costume, which is so... I know, it's so creepy. The, the head is so creepy. Like, the face is like... Oh, oh yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. Also, I love that Friday tells Jane to only drink lemonade and to not eat the fudge. <laughs> and, like, if I was Jane, I would be... First stop fudge. I'd be hightailing it to the fudge. A hundred percent I would be eating some of that fudge. Oh yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> like little red riding hoods ready for a good time, you know? <laughs> little Bo Peeps lost more than her shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the snake lady from last episode is at this point. Yeah, she's probably performing. They've they've hired her to, to do a little performance. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, we get a quick little interlude back at Miss Fisher's house where Hugh has found out that Foyle's mother was actually his foster mother. She was abusive, and besides that, she is missing. Dun dun! <laughs> so then. Um, also, Dot tells Hugh that Mr. Butler has had a bad reaction to some fudge and that he must be allergic to figs because. That's what Guy told Prudence was in the, the fudge so that she wouldn't eat it, because apparently Prudence doesn't like figs, which I find hilarious. Yeah. Guy is just totally oblivious. It's so funny. I can't believe she buys that. Like, it's ridiculous that she would buy that, but whatever. <laughs> so, so then, back at the party... Uh, <gasps> <laughs> oh, best scene of all time! Um, oh, it's so good! <laughs> <laughs> listeners, can you tell we're excited? <laughs> Can you tell we've literally been talking about this for weeks, <laughs> specifically discussing this scene, because we have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels like it's been my whole life that I've been discussing this scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jack shows up, and Mrs. Sher is acting very flirtatious. She takes him up to her room and um, gives him a Mark Antony <laughs> costume to put on. I have in all caps in my notes, extremely sexy scene ensues. <laughs> I wrote that I, I, I got chills watching the scene and I obviously had to watch it several times because it was so good. Oh my, I mean, I've like, I've watched it so many times, like even before we started this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, it's just smoldering. Like it's just literally, you know, smoldering. On yes. Screen. And Friday like reaches and undoes Jack's well, so before that, what I really like is that his posture is so closed off and embarrassed. Like, you can just see the, like, waves of yeah. embarrassment sort of wafting off of him. And he says that he doesn't want to be a strumpets fool, um, which, of course, is a direct reference to her corresponding Cleopatra costume. 
Um, oh, yes. <laughs> she thinks, she remarks that he's been a single pillar for far too long. Indeed, I agree. <laughs> um, and then the tie loosening occurs. And she even, she even unbuttons like two shirts, two buttons of his shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And he is like, I mean, Nathan Page is just such a good actor. And they're like, the, so the chemistry between these two actors is like, sets the bar for all future chemistry forever. Like, it's incredible. It's so, yeah, and I like, I don't know how they do it because you know other movies or TV shows where they're trying to create that sort of thing and it's just not yeah. the same. Like, I mean, I think, I think it's kind of a meme that the chemistry in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies is like so terrible. So bad. And I think that that's hilarious because those movies are full of nudity and there's just tons of sex. And this show contains like no nudity no sex and it still manages to be like well, just hot as hell sex it contains sex just not between genders. yeah not between the main characters and i mean it's also just like way more understated like you, you see much you see much less of the actual act you know right and it's not like actually r-rated like yeah but it's just i mean it's just so well done like the the way they build up to it and all of the the looks and the glances and it's just so much hotter than like a much more explicit oh, yeah well to be fair 50 shades of gray just isn't hot in general, yeah even if the actors had had better chemistry. yeah <laughs> really I'm just saying, i don't that wasn't the only problem really doesn't do it for so, me <laughs> yeah yeah no. they're far more problematic uh, than just the chemistry but um also i mean i probably told you this but i did read the book while i was unemployed this summer and wrote a very scathing review on goodreads if you want <laughs> I would love to read that. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I love that Fifty Shades of Grey is, like, based on... I mean, it was originally a fan fiction of Twilight, which is a, another series that has a, an extremely problematic power dynamic. And then somebody was like, you know what would make this better? Making it more if, problematic. <laughs> yeah, what if the power dynamic was even worse? Oh, my gosh. Well... <laughs> They, you know, they did it wrong because all I needed to see was Jack's Adam's apple, which honestly could have been an entire episode by itself in this scene. I mean, I I have no words. It's just the expression on his face and then the way Miss Fisher, her whole face sort of like, just kind of like relaxes and then like zeroes in on his mouth like her eyes you can tell are just looking yeah. right at his mouth it's just so well done i don't and then she says like just in this very like breathy voice like come on let's have just one gaudy night and like oh Oof. did you have to wonder what she thinks is going to happen you know like because she's got this whole helmet on and the costume seems delicate. She's got heavy makeup on. Like, I mean, were they going to, was she thinking maybe they would just skip the whole party? Um, well, once again, she's always focused on the investigation. So I don't think there's any way she's skipping that party. I think it's just sort of like in that moment, she felt the chemistry. Yeah. So she just went, went right in for the tie loosening. Yeah. (laughs) Just went right in for the tie loosening. I I mean, this really is, I think it might be the hottest scene in the whole show. I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll have to revisit. I, I think it I is. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it is. It's one of the hottest scenes I've ever seen. Honestly. Well, like. It's so, and cause then he says like, they're just sort of like drawing close and like their face, like again, the acting is just so good. Cause their faces are just like two people realizing like, oh, something might happen. Right yeah. Now. And 
He's like, if you really want a Roman soldier, and there's just this long pause, yeah, and the, like so long, oh, and it's like, oh, I think she wants it. Yes, and the the sort of the hesitation in his voice, how like just the oh. tone of his voice, the look on his yeah. face, and then like I said, the Adam's apple, and then oh, it all just comes crashing down because he says, then I'll take it from here. Oof, Jack, just give in. <laughs> oh my gosh, oof. We need to turn the fan on in here. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Ugh. So um, then, tragically, he, of course, sends her away. And we never get to see Jack in that costume, which is a real tragedy. Because um, the note from Arthur turns out to contain Janie's ribbon. And so she returns to, the, she returns to the room. And the vibe takes in a very unfortunate, complete 180. No longer sexy. Wait, I don't... The- the note is not from Arthur. It is from Murdoch. Yeah, Lord. but it's in Arthur's handwriting. Like the P on the envelope. Oh. Well, why would he get... I don't understand. I, doesn't he slide it under the door? Do we not see that? I don't no. know. We. I think you might be right. I mean, it definitely is from Murdoch Foyle. I thought maybe he put Arthur up to it or something. Well, that's what's not clear. And it's... If Murdoch Foyle put Arthur up to the whole business. I don't think it's I ever I don't think clear. that's ever explained. I don't think no. it's ever made clear. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, I've already been, like, wooed into complacency, like, by, you know, like, the snake charmer. <laughs> this last scene is just totally, you know, anyway. Yeah, I feel like the 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 logical sequence of the murderers in the last few episodes is just sort of unraveling. And maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it's because, like, Phryne is so unnerved by Murdoch Foyle that, like, even sort of the figuring out the concrete ties of the of the murder becomes secondary to like being creeped out by Murdoch Foyle, which kind of becomes your experience as the viewer yes. as well. Yes. Um so then Franny is frantic. Um she insists that Foyle must have had the ribbon, um, because she's got the other one and Arthur was also there conveniently, and then of course he has disappeared in the wolf costume. Um I don't know. It's all also I'll note that she runs back into the room where Jack is has made no progress in putting on the costume and he's just sitting there. And I just think he's sitting there like trying to cool himself. Oh my off. yeah, of course. And he like he hasn't even <laughs> managed to like rebutton his shirt or tie. And for the remainder of the episode, he appears oh. looking quite undone with the, the shirt unbuttoned and the tie loosened, which he, he never looks that way ever in any no. other episode. He's always buttoned no. up, always. Oh, he's just so disheveled. Ugh. It's wonderful. <laughs> disheveled Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then, guy jumps on a table and starts kicking off. Wait, wait. So wait. First, so far. Sorry, I know the the murder sequence doesn't really make sense. But did you talk about how they go into Arthur's room? Yes. Realize that his hands. Yeah, you already said that. Mm. Okay. Well, I think I just said that he that, that he, he was gone. Yeah, but also. Phryne notices that his Hansel costume that he was planning on wearing is still there, but not the wolf costume, which she also brought because she brought, like, all the costumes. So yeah. I think she realizes that, like, they need to be looking. Also, why did she bring him a costume if Aunt Prudence wasn't going to let him go to the party? Maybe that was a late-breaking decision. <laughs> I think it might have been. Or maybe it was Guy didn't want him at the party because he does say that at one point, too, so it's a little confusing. That's pretty rude, man. That's your brother. Oh, well. Well, Guy, I think, is not perhaps the king of tact. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he's not the most, like, empathetic person, apparently. No. So. Um, so then Guy jumps on a table and starts kicking off the treasure hunt. Um, the first prize for which is apparently a night with Isabella or Guy or both. 
I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> um. So you know how much. Also, in this scene, Isabella's drinking champagne just straight. From oh her. my god! In her Lady Godiva costume. Also, it's funny because during so when Guy is announcing the quote unquote prize, Bert like covers Jane's ears, and again I'm like, why was Jane allowed at this party? Oh <laughs> like, yeah, and there were like no not appropriate. There were no other children there. No. <laughs> also, like after Miss Fisher has already established that Guy and Isabella are like actively preying on teenage girls, why would she allow Jane near them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, I guess she did, Miss Fisher did sort of try to keep her away from Isabella, so. But yeah. still, she left her unsupervised at the party. Well, Bert and Sess were That's here. true, yeah, and she did explicitly tell them to look after Janie. Yeah. Which did- But then, Jane runs off, like, some, I think it must be foil at this point, in the wolf costume. Like, beckons her, and she just runs off, and Bert and Sess aren't paying attention. Yeah, so. yeah. Good work, guys. Um, so then the guests all run off, uh, for the- treasure hunt they're all apparently just randy for a night alone with bluebeard and godiva <laughs> they're just ready for oh. it <laughs> do you think they would have actually made good on that prize a hundred percent yeah what if like aunt prudence won the treasure hunt or like i don't know some old i don't think yeah prudence was part of <laughs> what about like some old dude or just like i don't know i feel like they yeah maybe <laughs> gross <laughs> um so then back out with Dot and Hugh, they're continuing. Oh, wait. So everyone runs and then Franny and Jack run up to Sess and Burt, ask where Jane is, and then like full on panic ensues because they've lost Right. Her. Yeah. So then they, they're presumably yeah. looking for Janie and we cut back. Yeah. That's when we cut back to Dot and Hugh who are investigating Foyle's right. supposed cremation. Um, and they're, they pick up his remains in a tiny box. Yeah. They just, they get, well, and they, the guy at the crematorium says that the mother came for the body, but they never saw her again. So, like, she hadn't come to pick up the ashes, which is a little strange. He's like, most people don't do Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I found that, that conversation a little confusing. I didn't, I didn't quite understand that that's what he was saying. That makes sense. Right. So then the ashes were still there because what Foyle did was, we find out later, was murder his foster mother, put her in the coffin, and then, like, disguise himself as her. Oh! And that, he, is, so then he never came back for the ashes because he didn't is that, it was like his escape plan. That's what happened. See, I thought they had pulled a Barty Crouch Jr. maneuver where he had convinced her to... Is this another Harry Potter? <laughs> well, I mean, it's the exact same situation where they break one guy out of prison by having him pretend to die yeah. and then actually, like, they've just swapped places with his mother. So I, Yeah, no, that that is what happened. Yeah, so I was assuming that she had volunteered for this task, which didn't make any sense given that she was just, like, an abusive foster mother who presumably didn't love him at all and would not agree to such a, a task. But when you... No, I don't think she was uh, agreeing to him. Yeah, it's much more plausible when you say that she... He, that he killed her. <laughs> Right, because, like, he's there in the trick coffin. Yes. With the, under the influence of the animal tranquilizer. So, by this point, he's woken up, but the coffin is at a crematorium. Yeah. And he must have, I mean, this is obviously, like, a long-standing plan of his, because he's given her as, like, his contact. And so then they contact her, she comes to identify the body, and then he, like, pops out of the coffin. (laughs) It's also ridiculous that, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure you don't get to just go see a body unsupervised, like... I don't think they would have left her alone with him, right? Like, and then he could have just walked out of there. Well, but I think probably it was like, I would like a moment alone with my son, you know? Maybe they do give people kind of a moment alone with a body, and that's when he 
sprung. Yeah. And then I think he probably put her clothes on to walk out. <laughs> Ridiculous. Which, like, how did he, like, she, we see a picture of her, like, she had hair. I I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit weak. It's a bit weak. <laughs> um, well, so then next up, uh, Jack and Miss Fisher are searching for Janie, who's being, like, stalked by the wolf or something. And then they, they find her. Uh, and send her home with Sess and Bert in the taxi, but the wolf is still at large. Also, like, <laughs> the scene, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is just dramatic, like, dream sequence, because, again, I think the viewer is sort of being taken on the same path as Phryne, but, like, smoke fills the path, and then thunder rolls, which, like, it's not raining, it wasn't a thunderstorm, <laughs> but, like... I didn't notice that at all, because I was too distracted by Jack's tie still being undone. Uh, and I have, in fact, written in my notes, Meow. <laughs> oh gosh um so then next up dot and he were sifting through the ashes which is like gross like why I, were they would you have ever thought like oh let's look through these ashes just to make sure it was actually the correct body <laughs> like well dot says something like that she's like how are we gonna know if it's him or not yeah and then they just proceed to like sort through them anyway and then that's when they find this melted glass eye in their remains and they conclude that it must be the mother because she had a glass eye yes the bodies have been swapped shocking you know and then the other crazy thing is that actually all along murdoch foil has just been taking polyjuice potion and it's actually been (laughs) hugh all along was actually foil yeah mackenzie this is not harry potter but how do you explain that hugh was teaching defense against the dark arts i missed that scene (laughs) what episode was that in okay anyway (laughs) um so then back at the party uh Guy is having a little temper tantrum and very rudely accusing Arthur of the kidnapping and saying that Arthur should be put in an asylum. Wah, wah, wah. Like, Arthur was always getting all the attention, which is just, like, ugh, ridiculous. Also, like, Jane wasn't really kidnapped because, like, she's with Bert and Seth. Yeah. They show it wasn't a success. And also, like, I mean, it's pretty cold-hearted to be, like, just complaining to your mother that your like poor disabled brother was getting all the attention like for christ's sake he's disabled like yeah i mean i don't i know well i don't think guy is a very upstanding guy no he's not a good person no so also i have in my notes for the scene that jack is so disheveled (laughs) you'd think he would take a moment to put himself back together but i guess not well i'm glad he doesn't yeah (laughs) Um, also, Arthur has another toffee apple. Oh my so god. Once again, with a toffee Ooh. apple to give Murdoch Foyle his costume. Like, I mean, like, th- he was wearing a freaking wolf costume. How, where where are the pockets for the candy apples in that costume? I'd like to know. No, no, Arthur was wearing the costume. Yeah, but they swapped- Murdoch Foyle. They swapped costumes. So I'm just, I'm just trying to picture, you know, how this candy apple handoff happened when at least one of them was wearing a wolf costume at the time. <laughs> Yeah, like, someone had to be holding the candy apple. Maybe, okay, Foyle is holding the candy apple. Again, I'm not sure how he's transporting these. Like, they didn't have plastic in the back then, so anyway. Maybe he had a special so, a special contraption. Probably. He is a criminal master. <laughs> so then he, like, convinces Arthur to take off the costume, and then he gives him the candy apple, and then he puts on the costume. Well, ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so that's not really an important part at all. But then Dot and Hugh arrive, 
to tell Friday that they have figured out that Foil was not actually. Uh, once again, Miss Fisher was right. Uh, so then in the next scene, of course, we think Janie is safe with Bert and Sess, but there's a hitchhiker in a wolf costume on the side of the road, and Bert and Sess pick him up and let him right into the car. Which, like, why doesn't Jane at this point say, like, oh, hey, that's the guy that lured me into the woods? Yeah, unclear. She's just, like, super nice to him. Um, and then, of course, Jack and Miss Fisher immediately sort of cotton onto the scheme. I think a guard says he saw a wolf or yeah. something. Um, but it's too late, and Mr. B is too busy sleeping one off to answer the phone, and Bert and Sess are just, like, totally unsuspicious of the creepy hitchhiker. Also, I'll note in the car that um, Bert is drinking a bottle of champagne that he's clearly nabbed from the party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, drunk Bert's my favorite. <laughs> um, so they arrive back at the house, and um, I guess this is a, a way of establishing that Foyle knows where Miss Fisher lives, but now. Right. But presumably he knew before, because he sent her a letter. I was thinking that, too. I'm like, he's been nailing her stuff. But I don't know, maybe the post was such back then that you could just write, Miss Franny Fisher. Yeah, but I think maybe also he was just, like, establishing trust with them in order to get inside the house, which worked. Because then he, like... Yes, that definitely worked. Yeah, because then he shows up again as Jane's making some tea. And, like, I mean, you never answer the door to a stranger. Like, doesn't she know that rule? It's like the, my parents no, drilled this not. into me repeatedly. But maybe in the 20s, people were less suspicious. Yeah, but literally, like, J- like Jane has been present when, like, creepy people came to the house to, like, kidnap people. or uh, <laughs> Like, she should know that. Yeah, this is not the first time this is happening. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. So she, of course, lets him in to use the telephone, and he promptly cuts the telephone line. And um, Jane makes him some tea... And they chit-chat about ancient history. He's apparently, you know, really into ancient Egypt foreshadowing. He is. We find out. Yeah. And then Mr. B wakes up and he, like, has the munchies, I guess. But is (laughs) (laughs) totally unsuspicious of the visitor, which is weird. Uh, He should be suspicious. Yep. And again, maybe this is, like, if he hadn't had all those hash brownies, his guard would be up a little. So once again, the whole thing is Guy's fault. Yes, well, I think, I think that's pretty <laughs> Well, it's not really Guy's fault. Yeah. He didn't help anything. <laughs> so one thing I noticed on this rewatch is that Jane offers Foyle some milk, and he refuses it, which I think is a clue to the fact that he's drugged the milk. Wait. I think oh. I think so. I mean, it doesn't, the, the consequences of this don't happen until don't the next sh- episode. Yeah. But right, right, right. Um, so then anyway, he seems to leave and then Jack and Miss Fisher arrive like breathless, sweaty, disheveled. But Jane is safe for now. But then it's like, he'll be back. And then the episode is over. Ah! Ah, the only two part Miss Fisher episode, I believe. I know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's it. What was your. Which really it's sort of like a three part episode because the coffin thing was started or a three episode sequence because the coffin thing was introduced in the last that's season. true yeah and the storyline has been introduced over the whole season so I scrap that it doesn't really apply yeah so to recap foil broke out of jail as detailed in episode 11 faked his own cremation by having his foster mother cremated instead um presumably by killing her disguising himself as her and leaving her body in the coffin to be cremated he then goes to prudence's house as a way to get to friday because prudence and Friday have been in the society pages together. So this is me sort of like inferring a lot because it's not really detailed in the episode, but he must corner Marigold to get information about the household. Um, and this is how he 
finds out about the party and then kills her to keep her from talking because he's like a psychotic serial killer. Um, so Arthur sees him talking to Marigold and Foyle gives Arthur a toffee apple, both to like, I don't know, distract him and also to freak Franny out. Um, so then at the party, he corners off Arthur, steals his costume, give her, gives him another toffee apple, um, and then tries to lure Jane away into the woods. But Jack and Franny arrive in time. He runs off, hails Burton Sess instead, escapes, but has clearly gained a lot of info about Franny's household in the meantime. Mm. And possibly more that we'll find out in the next episode. And then Marigold's sexual liaisons with Guy and Isabella, as well as her father's beating her, were unrelated to the murder. Could it be a red herring? Yes, that was the red herring of the episode. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that recap. That certainly makes it more clear. I, Because it didn't make any sense to me at all why he would have murdered Marigold, but that, that makes sense now. Yeah, I think he must have just been trying to get, like, the inside scoop on stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what was your worst outfit of the week? <laughs> I had Isabella's Lady Godiva outfit. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> To be clear, though, what I really hated was the wig. (laughs) Yeah. The wig was gross. (laughs) It was all pretty bad. Yeah. I think this is funny, this, like, skin, like, this flesh-colored bodysuit thing. Was that, that was a thing that people did in the 20s? Because nobody does that now unless you're, like, a figure skater. Right. I think it must have been because it would have been, like, way too scandalous to show up at a party with, like, actually your midriff. I kind of wish we could return to this, you know? I like it if I could show skin, yeah. but also be wearing a leotard at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you could. People might look at you funny, but you could definitely do Yeah, that. well, I am I am trying to avoid the funny looks, ultimately. <laughs> um, all right, well, what was your best outfit? Um, Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, we're two for two. You did the same thing? Um, no, no, I didn't. I actually loved a lot of the outfits this week. There was the reappearance of... Prudence's dandelion dress. Mm, yes. Also, Prudence is wearing a fantastic lace top in uh, one of the scenes that I just love. It's like a cream top with like a lace frontispiece. That's just really good. I missed that. And then I also love Phryne's cream and brown jacket that she is wearing for much of the like pre-party scenes. Um, and then I love all the costumes, obviously, including Cleopatra. But my pick for best outfit this week obviously goes to Jack's disheveled suit. Ooh, what a twist. I like that. I like it too. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Who'd you have for best, um, best week? For best week? I wasn't sure. I wrote Dot Gets Her Way or Isabella and Guy, who don't appear to have ever had a bad week in their lives. So, True. not sure. <laughs> yeah, they seem unfazed by anything bad that might ruin most other people's weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had Mr. Butler. Mr. But- That's a good one. Yeah, he, he does have a good <laughs> I one. I feel like he got some... Some well-deserved, like, rest and relaxation. Yeah, he got to cater a fancy party, and he also got, like, just high as fuck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, worst week? Um, Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, He's I had that too. Totally thrown under the bus by his lame brother. And his friend dies. Yeah, and, like, his friend died. He gets, like, pulled around by a creepy murderer. Yeah. yeah. What did you have for murder method? I put a three- because there's just, like, it was an unnecessary murder, eh? I mean, I guess not from Foyle's point of view, but anyways. And it was just like, what, you strangle her and throw her in the pool? I don't know. <laughs> um, I gave it a three. Um, I refuse to rate it because I feel that the full details have not yet been revealed, so. No, oh, true. Okay. I'm going to have to do a double rating next episode. Don't let me forget. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, I'll try to remember to do that, too. Okay. Um, what about new skill of the week? Um, smoldering. Smoldering was my skill of the week. <laughs> that's, that's not a skill. It's a, it's a, I mean, did you see how she was doing it? It's a skill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I can't do it like uh, that. I put, I put costume design, which I realized she probably wasn't really designing the costumes, but she did seem to have a lot of costumes and kind of, I, I used them to her. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the Cleopatra costume was a triumph, so. Exactly. And, you know, the Mark Antony costume just served at the ready for Jack. Also, oh, yeah. Even though he never wore it. Um. All right. And then finally, sexual tension. What did you have? I put 1,000. Ooh, I put 77. <laughs> <laughs> I really think, though, this may be as tense as it gets. This is this is the pinnacle, you know? Yeah, that's why I put 1,000. One, yeah. We've broken the scale this week. <laughs> I mean... Possible exception of season three, episode one, which is also, uh, maybe that might be my favorite episode yeah. of all time, but, um, this is, this might even surpass that for. Yeah, there is definitely more to come, but this is pretty, it's up there. I mean, it is all disheveled suits and Adam's apples and smoldering cases. Like it just doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Ugh. laughs> well, I think that wraps us up for the week. It does. And next week we'll be doing the last episode in the first season. Ooh, finale. Oh, that's exciting. Finale. Um, so next week we'll be talking about the season finale, season one, episode 13, King Memsey's Curse. Ooh, King Memsey's Curse. <laughs> um, so as always, thanks for listening. And if you like our podcast, please uh, subscribe, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. Uh, feel free to send us any questions or comments. Uh, comment on our website or email us. Every lady needs a hobby at gmail.com. Also, shout out to Bethany who sent us a note. Um, and she did some research on something that we talked about way back in episode three about false eyelashes. And she looked this up and apparently false eyelashes had been around for nearly three decades before Phryne is is wearing them in episode three, the Green Mill, uh, the Green Mill murder. So wow. anyways... Who would have known? Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. We always appreciate historical information. So. Exactly. Keep it coming, listeners. So, yeah. And if you if you see gaps in our research, you know, please let us know. Yes. Uh, I think that wraps us up. It does. All right. Until next week.